Yeah. 
Can you pull that up, Lincoln? I have to have the words for the verse because I can't remember the verse exactly. So that's it. They were in an upper chamber.
Let's sing that song, He Paid a Debt. He paid a debt.
pray together, take all these needs to the Lord. Amen. Do you believe he can meet your need tonight? Hallelujah. He's more than able. So let's pray together. Father, we're just grateful, Lord, to be in your presence, Lord, gathered as a family, Lord, of believers, Lord, of like mind and faith. Lord, we join our hearts together, Lord. We have faith in your word, Lord, to believe that all of these prayer requests that have been mentioned, Lord, we lay them on the altar before you, Lord Jesus, asking for you to intercede for each and every one, Lord. Lord, my heart goes out to those that couldn't be with us tonight, Lord. For whatever circumstance, God, Lord, I pray that you would just go to each individual, Lord. You administer to them what they have need of, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would just touch the sick and afflicted, Lord, and heal their bodies, Lord. Lord, those that are down in their spirit, Lord, I pray that you would just lift them up on your wings, Lord. That you would just deliver them and break the bands of oppression that would, that would hold your people down, Father. May we be free, Lord, to worship you in spirit and truth, God. Lord, just speak to us tonight, Lord. I pray that each and every heart would be ministered to, Lord. That you would just touch the minister, Father. Anoint our ears to receive your word this evening, God. Bless the remainder of this service, God, for we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's just uh, sing a couple more songs here before we bring Brother Barry out. Uh, keep it in the same key. Uh, and let's sing that song, I Saw Love, Mercy, and Grace. So I saw love, mercy,
Let's put it in the key of G. Let's sing that song, Holy Spirit, rain down. Holy Spirit,
and we're going to go to the Lord with this, uh, these extra prayer requests here. I forgot to mention to Mitchell that Brother John Harwell has been quite sick the last couple of days and we want to remember him. Also, Eli's away, right? Uh, texting me from somewhere, some town, somewhere in the West. And, uh, you should leave the doors locked. Uh, so we want to remember him. Also as well, uh, Grace Johnson gave, gave us a request today for a Jill Fleeman. And uh, this is a sister who has had cancer. She's battled cancer for the last seven years. Uh, she's gone through so much, uh, just the physical turmoil and sickness and uh, all the things associated with that terrible disease. She asked if she could be sent home from the hospital with hospice. She asked for that. Her, her husband asked, just wait four more weeks, just four more weeks and we'll see what God does. Um, I can't imagine something harder for a family to be going through than to make a decision like that and to be so miserable that you'd want to be sent home with hospice and then a husband hanging on with everything that he has for another four weeks. That's got to be something that's heartrending in a, in a way that I'm not familiar with. And so they asked us if we would remember them in prayer, and I told Sister Grace tonight that we sure would. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God we can turn to. And like your prophet taught us, you're a God who keeps every appointment. We can come and knock on your door and, Lord, have an audience with you. And we're so thankful for that. To see great men of the earth, Lord, great people of the earth, sometimes an appointment would take weeks and months, Lord, but certainly never instantly. But Lord, with you, the King of kings and the creator of all things, we can come and instantly make an appointment with you. So as we bow our heads tonight, Lord, we believe that somehow in your divine providence, Lord, you're, you're able to be among your people wherever they are gathered. And tonight we bind our hearts together, we bind our faith together, and believe, Lord, that you hear us in our own simple way. We've given you a list of requests. There are lists, Lord, we know from people who are here and people who are listening, Lord, probably much, much longer than that. But we bind them all together and bring them at your throne this morning and lay, this evening and lay them, Lord, at your feet and ask, oh God, that you would be merciful to each one. And we can't help but think, Lord, of this Fleeman family and we ask, oh God, that you would be merciful in that situation, Lord. Our prayer would be, our desire would be that you would bring healing to her body. But Lord, 
we want to commit her to you. We want to commit that husband to you and that family to you, Lord. And just pray that you would just come among them, Lord, and give them a peace. Lord, just take complete control, we pray. The prophet taught us, Lord, not to be asking why or how, but just to only believe that all things are possible. And so we do that tonight, Lord. We commit them into your care. Bless this service, Lord, as you have in the past. And Father, we just commit our time together now into your hands, believing that you have a purpose in every gathering of your bride in this late hour. We love you and we thank you. Ask your blessing, Lord, upon the people tonight. In Jesus' lovely name we pray. Amen. And amen, and all God's people said, let's take your Bibles tonight, let's go to Matthew chapter 18, let's jump right in. Thank you, uh, musicians, appreciate their good work tonight. Good to have the Garveys with us, uh, this is Sister Keisha's cousin, and uh, glad to have them with us uh, here tonight. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 18, seven things adoption teaches us. I want to move on to... A new section here, but there's a little bit about forgiveness that I want to deal with tonight uh, before we move on. Matthew chapter 18. There are very few chapters or sections of scripture that are totally devoted to something. But Matthew chapter 18 is a chapter devoted to this subject of forgiveness and reconciliation. So I think it's important that we go there. In Matthew uh, 18, and let's begin at verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Till seven times. Now seven here doesn't mean I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. Just, you know, count to seven. Seven is completion. So he says, do I have to completely forgive my, my brother? He, Jesus said, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until... Seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated. Good to be back. <clears throat> I would like to take issue with something that Brother Aaron said last Wednesday night. I was listening to the service and enjoyed it immensely except for what he did say at the beginning. And this is what he said. That surely they don't think of us on our vacation. He said they're off, you know, with all the coffees and the caffeine and they don't think of us on their vacation at all. I'd like to differ with that and say that <clears throat> I think about you all the time. Because, <clears throat> uh, you know, I'm thinking it's Wednesday night at 6.30, Brother Tom is there, you know, and we're cranking up. And, and uh, so I'm communicating with the preachers. I always communicate with every preacher who comes out and preaches before service. Uh, and like Brother Dennis McBride, I told him, make sure you wish everybody happy Father's Day on Sunday morning. And, uh, you know, I, I, I look at, uh, I, I, I think about what's going on. And, you know, I, I, you get the emails and the WhatsApp loops and all of that. And people text me and let me know what's happening. So um, <clears throat> I, I guess uh, you don't really, uh, you don't just go somewhere and switch off the fact that you're a pastor. And I will tell you something, and I'm not trying to sound humble or... Uh, uh, Whatever. This is, this is not a job for me. It's a calling. And when you have a calling, you never lay down your calling. You always have a calling. You're born with it. You die with it. And so, therefore, uh, I would disagree with Brother Aaron. Yes, I do think about uh, things. I remember we get away from the regular routine. And sometimes a change. My mother always said a change is as good as a rest. 
And uh, that's, that's the nice thing about being away with family. And it's always really good. Um, <clears throat> thank you, Lucas. Uh, I don't know where he is, but there he is. But we do have the link up for financial peace so people can sign up. If you know people outside who want to sign up, uh, they're certainly welcome to do that. Uh, it's available at our website now. Um, I also wanted to say this, too, that, uh, you know, it's all the bits in the news about the folks that are on the submarine there, uh, and they're all, uh, there's a lot of activity going on out of Boston, but also out of St. John's, and you see that uh, city listed in the news there, and uh, that's the, my hometown, and Lord willing, that's where we'll be going to visit in just a little bit, and uh, it's... Uh, it's, it's got, I, I know from the uh, pictures that I see online, and I was talking to my brother yesterday, uh, I, I know exactly what those seas look like. I know what the sky looks like. I know how cold the ocean actually is. And for those people to be trapped uh, in that place has to be one of the most horrifying things. Uh, wherever they are and whatever circumstance they're facing, it, it would have to be such a a horrible thing to be in a place and wondering whether uh, help is on the way or if anybody actually knows where they are. And, and at this point, really no one but God knows where they are. I pray that God would have mercy on them because that would be such a, uh, such a horrible thing. And I trust that they will uh, be restored and rescued if, if possible at all because it's such a terrible thing. But that is right up uh, where the Titanic uh, sank. Uh, and I remember uh, my uh, grandparents and so forth talking about the sinking of the Titanic, but the Titanic was only one of many ships that sank in Iceberg Alley because it was a very common thing. Uh, so <clears throat> having said all of those things, um, let's turn to the Word tonight, and I want to uh, deal with this subject of forgiveness here uh, just one more time, Lord willing, unless we're directed back to this subject again. Uh, it is a good subject to visit, and uh, <clears throat> now that... I have my new Bible. Uh, the preaching all of a sudden just got better. So this subject of love and forgiveness is a big one. It's an extensive one. And uh, there's no way we can exhaust it by just speaking a couple of services about it. But in terms of our context, which is this whole subject of adoption, we want to learn what God wants us to learn about this subject here. And hopefully it'll open up conversations and open up doors for you and your study to learn, learn and discover a little bit more about the subject of forgiveness. Because I will guarantee you, I will guarantee you, no matter how young or old you are, you will always be faced with opportunities to forgive. And uh, it'll, it'll happen till the end of your days on the earth because you're not living in a cave somewhere by yourself. You're living among people. And as long as that exists, as long as that condition exists, you're going to be faced with choices. You're going to be faced with conflict. You're going to be faced with situations where it's not always uh, where everyone is of the same mind. And so the scripture never tells us to, to not disagree. It doesn't tell us to uh, have perfect agreement and continuity with one another. It doesn't say that. Because that's what we call the millennium. Right? Life without Satan. That's what we call heaven. But on this earth, as long as we're here, we live on what's like what I compare to like a train track where you have not one rail but two. You're on both. And those, those rails, uh, you have good coming at you, but you also have the not-so-good coming at you. And uh, we have to deal with things as they arise in life. And, and uh, whether you're single, whether you're little, whether you're aged, 
you have people around you and they will not, there will not always be perfect harmony. And so therefore the subject of forgiveness affects us all. Now, <clears throat> this is also one of the subjects where um, it, it is not appropriate for me, and I say this often, it's not appropriate for me to tell you what you should do until I tell you how you should do it. It's easy for preachers to get up and rail to the people and say, you ought to be this, and you should do that, and you should do something else. It's easy to say that. But it's a different thing to explain, well, how do we fix that? How do, how do we do it? Tell us the steps. And tonight, that's what I'm, I will attempt to do with the help of the Lord, is to uh, give you some of the steps here, okay, and illustrate it for you. Now, I love this statement here because uh, every one of us are called to be representatives. And I, I look at this as Brother Branham's parting words to us. This is leadership, December uh, 1965. We are supposed to represent God and eternal life. You are actually placed here in the last day to represent to a world that's falling apart what it means to have eternal life and what it means to know and walk with God. To say that you're in fellowship with God. Therefore, you have a very high calling to shine very brightly in, in the condition of darkness. And we are actually genes of his, just like your genes of your father. And so therefore, you're, you're here instead of him. That's what an ambassador is. You're here instead of him. And so we should conduct ourselves, as Brother Brandon said, like the Bible said for us to do. There are some things that are automatic. They're going to happen to you. And there are some things that you've been doing and never knew they were the product of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. There are some things you've been doing right for years and years and never knew it. And I think it's great when somebody comes along and says, that's what you should do, and you realize, ha, that's what I've been doing. That's a real good evidence that the Holy Spirit's been at, your work, been at work in your life, even if you never knew it, right? And so it's a good thing. So that confirmation sometimes can be a very encouraging thing. Has anybody ever been encouraged like in that way? Some of you have. And so therefore, we should strive to conduct ourselves in a way that is... Uh, exemplary, and also characteristic of Christ and characteristic of the kingdom we're, we're moving to and manifesting the light in our day and scattering it. And so that's what we should do. Remember, you're not being trained or conditioned to live here. You're being conditioned to live in another place, in another kingdom. And as a result of that, you're not trying to blend in here. We're not trying to look like people here. We're trying to look like people in another kingdom. We're not trying to change God's word. We're not trying to refashion things. We're not trying to out-profit the prophet. We're not trying to outrun God. We're not trying to say to God, this is the way we want to do it. We're not doing that at all. There was a, an, an incredible article that I read. And I, I'll, res, I'll just say this and I'll reserve some of it for Sunday. But there is a massive departure from traditional Christianity in our country that's going on. And now that uh, COVID is over, they have statistics that prove that, uh, you know, a lot of the drop-off in churches uh, during the COVID time naturally uh, never really rebounded in churches. Uh, everybody got on airplanes, but everybody didn't go back to church. And now they're starting to figure out why. And it's really interesting. And one of the, two of the reasons that are given, and this is a simple response here, but two of the reasons that are given is that, number one, people are fed up with coming to church where the church and the ministry is aligned with political parties. If you're a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, let me tell you, it is a very real, it's a real thing. Like Joe says, wherever Joe is, uh, it's a real thing. 
that uh, there, there's, there's a political context to the doctrines of the church. That's incredible. That's incredible. Because the, to me, the context within which we worship should be based on Scripture, Amen. not politics. Amen. I mean, we have nothing to do, we should have nothing to do with that. Secondly, people are fed up with the way worship is. They want to change it. They want to have a different style. They want to have a different uh, type of music. They want to have a different length of service. They want to have uh, things the way they want to have it. And as a result, there's a whole younger generation who are saying, unless you change it, we're not going to be a part of it. And that's amazing. Not because ministries should not be in contact with their people and where they are. We should. But when we cross the line of telling God what we want to hear and what we don't, that's a different conversation. And I can give you concrete examples of that within the message. And that's what's alarming to me. But for tonight, let's deal with the power of forgiveness here. And uh, it's important for us to understand this. I've shown you this several times here. I think, it's, I think it's very pertinent. As a part of our personal experience, we know God forgives our sins. We must forgive one another. And number one depends on number two. And everybody ought to say amen to that one. Now, <clears throat> in Galatians chapter 6, uh, Paul writes this about the problem of uh, a need of restoration within the church. And he says, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, consider thyself, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And when we bear one another's burdens, we fulfill or become, we become, we act more like Christ. So this is not, in a sense, this is not logical, uh, and, and this is not maybe the way the world would think about it, but we have to think of ourselves, verse 3, as, as nothing or lower than we are because if we don't, we're actually deceiving ourselves. So he says, make sure that you go at this whole process of restitution within the body because it's going to be, it's going to be needful, it's going to arise, but make sure when you go at it, you don't go at it with a lofty attitude or a greater opinion of your own self-importance. You know what? I need, to, I need to be the fixer. I need to fix these things. And you know, the church is not going to work without me. That's not the way to go. The, the wisdom that we demonstrate here is to go to somebody with the intent that we're going to restore. We're going to try to bring it back together, but we're going to do it in meekness. We're not going to do it in pride. We're going to do it in meekness. We're not going to do it in haste. We're going to do it in meekness. And it's very important. Now, there's a very subtle thing here that I, I think is, has been worth mentioning, and that is in James chapter 3, and this is the chapter where he deals with wisdom. Listen to what he says. I've, I've showed you in this scripture before. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? So that's the question. Who is wise among you, wise and knowledgeable? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. There it is again. We're going to do things within the body. We're going to do it with this attitude, meekness of wisdom. And if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. 
So sometimes the wrong thing can be done and it can appear to be wise. But this is not the wisdom that comes from God. This is wisdom that comes from below. But it's called wisdom. If you have a search program on your computer and you click on that word wisdom, it'll give you the same word for the wisdom that comes from above as the wisdom that comes from below. The word is not different. Like in English, wisdom that comes from above or wisdom that comes from below is the same word, W-I-S-D-O-M. It's wisdom. However, Paul is telling us that where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work, but the wisdom that is from above has these characteristics or fruits connected with it. How can we tell if it's the same English word? How can we tell if it's coming from above or below? When you see something going wrong in the church and or you see something going wrong with somebody and you go to try to correct that, how do we know whether that wisdom is from above or below? How do we know whether we're inspired by God or inspired by the other side? How do we know? Well, he tells us that the wisdom that is from above, here are the characteristics, characteristics of it. First of all, it's pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's easy to be entreated. In other words, correction comes easy. It's not like uh, rubbing a cat the wrong way and having to deal with somebody nails out. It's full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality. If a pastor has this, in other words, he's going to deal with everybody equally. There's no partiality. There's no, there's no partiality given because somebody's wealthy in the church or somebody's been there a long time, right? There's, there's, no, there's no impartiality about it. It's going to be full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So these are the characteristics of the right thing from verse 17 on there. These are the characteristics of somebody who's operating with the wisdom that comes from God. If somebody's operating with the wisdom that comes from below, it's going to be the opposite of these characteristics. Isn't that right? It's not going to be full of mercy. Somebody's going to be doing something for their own gain. They're going to be doing something so they can get something out of this themselves or whatever else. It's going to be the opposite of these words here if it comes from below. But yet the Bible calls it wisdom either way. Because Satan wants to uh, impress somebody with the fact that, hey, I feel led of God. I, you know what? This may be about as popular as bacon and eggs at a bar mitzvah, but I'll say it anyway. Sometimes people say, uh, you know, they'll make a statement. And I'll say, I'll say to them, uh, oh yeah, why are you doing that? Oh, I got a revelation. And it's almost like if they say that phrase then you know what, nobody can say anything because I got a revelation, and so therefore nobody can say anything because a revelation comes from God. I've had people tell me, hey, I, I know God gave me that job. A month later, they quit the job. And I often have wondered, did God give you the job for a month? Or did God miss? Or, oh, well, it became too hard i got to ask this question then. Is the will of God always easy? No. It, either God gave it to you or he didn't. One or the other. 
And I'm not being critical. I'm just saying that sometimes we fail to understand really what God's trying to do. And so therefore, this, there's, there's a very subtle thing that's going on here that James warns us about. And this is, the question is that he's asking, who's a wise man and dude with knowledge among you? Within the church, within the body here, who's giving you the right counsel? Well, the right counsel then will produce the right fruits. And the wrong counsel will not. Let's look at an example here in Matthew chapter 5. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. When's the last time you've done that? That's a hard thing to do. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also, which applies to us except in Laodicea, which is the age of people's rights. There are more attorneys in the city of Los Angeles than there are in all of South America. Because we're a very litigious society. They say that if you took every attorney and laid them head to foot around the equator, we'd all be better off. Well, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But I will say this, that this idea is countercultural, right? This is absolutely counterculture. That if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy take away thy coat. So he sues you in small claims court and takes ten thousand dollars. You're supposed to give him another? Give him an offering? Really? And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him that asketh thee, and for him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. This is an example of divine wisdom. That's not earthly wisdom. This is the wisdom that comes from above. Are we okay? Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, right. Yeah, sure, Brother Barry. Yeah, you have a very keen sense of humor. It's Bible. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men, apt to teach, patient. The servant of the Lord must not strive. It's actually a very strong word. Let me show you what it means. We'll go to Acts chapter 7, and here it is on the screen. Stephen is going through the history of the Old Testament church there, and he's talking about Moses. Watch. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, there's an Egyptian that's attacking an Israelite, seeing one of them suffer wrongly, he defended him. This is wisdom from where? You answer, you think about it. He defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. So he's a leader. He's acting now based on wisdom from somewhere. His reaction is, oh, wow, he's attacking one of, my, one of my brethren. Then I'm going to jump in and smite the Egyptian. For he supposed that the brethren would have understood how the God, by his hand, would deliver them, but they understood not. Now, in this scene that Stephen's describing, is there not bloodshed, punches thrown, and probably someone kicks the bucket? This is a violent scene. If you had broken in onto this scene, you'd say, whoa, whoa. 
Whoa. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again saying, Sirs, are you brethren? Why you do wrong one to another? So this is a, a, a violent scene. All I'm telling you is that that's the word for strive in the Bible. So therefore, the servant of the Lord must not strive. Be violent. <laughs> get, get physical. Get angry. Get to the place where, hey, it's you or me, buddy. One of us are going down. Shouldn't be, have that kind of anger, have that kind of frustration within us. Are you following the, the scene here? This is Paul now writing to Timothy about pastors and, and, and people in the body, people who are holding positions. The servant of the Lord must not strive. But he should be gentle to all men, apt to teach and patient. And in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So when the prodigal son's father saw the prodigal son leaving, he probably said under his breath, and I, I, we don't have any Bible for this, this is just me. He probably said, you know what, he's his own worst enemy. But he let him go. He had the right inheritance at the wrong time, didn't he? Prodigal son had the right inheritance, half of what his father owned, but had it at the wrong time. He had the right inheritance without the character to handle it. We know he didn't because he squandered it all in a very foolish way. So therefore, if God, this is how Paul says that a servant of the Lord must act. He must in meekness instruct those that oppose themselves. Therefore, he's not going to lord over his congregation. He's going to try to teach that congregation how to do things correctly. And you know what? There comes a point where me as a pastor, i got to leave the word with you, hopefully, to be your guide. Because I'm not going to force you to do anything. I'm not going to force you uh, to live a certain way or dress a certain way. You know what? It's gotta, at some point, it's got to come from within. You know, as parents, you know that there's only so far you can go with your teenagers in terms of telling them how they must act. But you know what? There comes a point where you want to see that response from within. You want to see that response without you being there breathing over them. Right? You want to see that. You want to have them say, you know what? Whether mom and dad says it or not, I shouldn't do that. I should be doing this. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by his will. So this is wisdom that is from above. This is the way we should act and we as servants of God should act. Uh, this, is, this is characteristic of someone who's receiving wisdom from above. Are we okay? It, it's, a, it's an important little scripture that James gives us and it's kind of a subtle difference and subtle differences really make a difference. Now, let me give you another example out of Brother Branham's ministry. He said, now notice people who sit and say, well, I accept the Lord. You take their word for it. I would too. I can't judge. Hey, now he's a prophet. Not only is he a prophet, but he knows the thoughts and intentions of that person's heart. Right? So even though sometimes it may seem obvious, you really, you really are, none of us are called to be judges. So you've got to be careful with this idea of judgment. As a matter of fact, if I understand the Bible right, we should make sure that we remove the beam out of our own eye before we start criticizing somebody else, right? You walk a mile in their moccasins before you start talking about them. All, all of those things apply. I can't judge. 
God does. I told you before about the fellow I met one time. I was on a plane, and, and uh, I was sitting down in the back, and there was a guy down there. It was kind of like around lunchtime, and they served the food, and I started eating before I, before I uh, uh, prayed. I was just noticing this guy over here. Before they served the tray of food to him, he had, he had already consumed two or three drinks, you know, little bottles of alcohol, and consumed those. And it was before lunch. And uh, I, I, was, I just happened to look over. He was in a row by himself. I was in a row by myself. And I just kind of looked over. And when I bowed my head to pray, I said, Lord, thank you for the food. Thank you for getting us up. But if you don't mind, hang around till we get down. That's how I always pray. And I said, bless this guy over here. And I did that without pointing, but I'm doing it for your sake. And I said, bless this guy over here. I once was where he was. And Lord, have mercy on, on this man. And I, I just, I, in Jesus' name, amen, I went to eating. Then all of a sudden I feel a tap, tap, tap. And he had gotten out of his seat and he says, hey, did you just pray? And I said, yeah. Now I could smell the alcohol off him. And he says, I said, yeah, I did. I'm, I'm a Christian. He said, hey, me too. <laughs> I said, really? You know John Harbaugh? I said, really? He said, yeah. Uh, he said, I was an usher at Billy Graham's meeting one time. Okay, I'm impressed. <laughs> and I, I, thought, I thought to myself, wow. Uh, he, 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 told, he went on to tell me how he was born again and his whole experience and so forth. Now watch what Brother Branham says. Well, I accept, people set and say, well, I accept the Lord. You take the word for it. I didn't start in with this guy and say, man, if you were a Christian, you certainly wouldn't be drinking before lunch. Maybe after, but not before, for, certainly. No, I'm, not, I'm only kidding. So I, in other words, I, I was not, the point of the conversation and my purpose was not to criticize his behavior because I can't judge. I don't agree, but that's my prerogative. And I, I, I'm not his judge, but God is. But 10 years from now, he says they'd never progressed a bit, staying right in the same old place. He said we grow daily. Every day our heart hungers, keeps moving on. There's something growing inside of you. You know what I don't have? I don't have Brother Bram's gift for discernment. So I can't tell what's going on in your heart. You're all sitting here tonight and basically in civil order. And you, you, most of you are, uh, you know, uh, looking at me uh, respectfully. And every, nobody's hitting their brother or sister. Uh, and so it's all, it's all good. And I can't discern your thoughts or the intentions of your heart. I'm not a prophet. But I'll tell you what I can see as a pastor. Because I've been around here a while. I can see patterns in your life. And patterns is something I put a lot of stock in. Because sometimes if you'll give somebody some advice, they come to you and ask advice and you give them advice, and they don't follow it. Then they come back and ask for advice again, and give them advice and they don't follow it. And they come back again and ask for advice and I give them advice again and they don't follow it. You know what we're doing? We're establishing a pattern. And that pattern tells me a lot. So, for example, this is not a real example, but for any, as an example, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, man, we've we're, we got one more week left in the month, and I don't have any money left. Oh, wow, I'm really in the spot. I need this. Pastor, can you help me out? And I, uh, you know, uh, more than likely, I'd probably help somebody out unless I knew something different, but I'd help them out because that's what the Bible tells me to do. But then, you know, the next month they come and they say, hey, Pastor, you wouldn't believe it. Man, something else came up this month here, and I'm stuck. Okay. And then they come to third month. Guess what we're doing? We're establishing a pattern. 
So to me now, rather than throwing good money at bad, I'm going to look for a cause. I'm going to look for a cause of this. Because I'm going to, like the, ad, the old saying says, if I give a man a fish, I'll feed him for a day. But if I teach him how to fish, he'll be fed for a lifetime. Right? So if there's a problem with finances there, hey, there is a way to fix that. There's a way to deal with that. Financial peace. But we can help that person long term by taking an interest. And like Brother Random said, if we've never seen any change, we've never seen any progress here, then you know what? Uh, there's something that's growing inside you. We should see, as a pastor, you should see some growth here. When there's a birth on the inside, shouldn't it grow? I mean, he's asking the question. With the Christ in your heart ought to be getting growing daily, getting bigger, more powerful, understanding things better, forgiving. That's what he says. Should be. Should be. Understanding things better, forgiving, walking on as God would, till Christ be formed in you, the hope of glory. So there should be a readiness to forgive. There should be a, re- a quickness to forgive in all of our hearts and all of our experience. The quintessential example of this is found in Matthew chapter 18. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 18 and let's take a look. Matthew chapter 18 is essentially divided into seven sections. Every section is important. The first section, which is found in the first four verses here, deals with this whole subject of humility, that we should become like little children because they are the ones that are received into the kingdom. The second two scriptures that I want you to look at found are found in verse 5. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But who shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me? It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he was drowned in the depth of the sea. That's a pretty extreme punishment. I don't know if you're familiar with the weight of millstones. I am. Because my wife has a relative who was a millstone maker. And I've been trying to get her one very hard. <laughs> and you can't just pick one up in the store. They're very, very, uh, they're, not, they're rare, the, the ones, uh, a real millstone, because they obviously don't make them anymore. We grind our flour in different ways. But <clears throat> a millstone, just for practical purposes tonight, would be the equivalent if we took this piano and tied a rope around it, extended the rope over here to the organ, tied the rope around that too, took both the organ and the piano and tied the other end around your neck and threw it into the ocean. Whoa. In other words, Jesus is describing something out of which there is no escape. You don't find him using this language anywhere else. You don't find anywhere in the Bible where any, any sin is dealt with this, uh, as extremely as this. But I will tell you something, that the greatest of all sins is to teach someone else to sin. And Jesus reserves his sternest judgment for those who put a stumbling block in the way of others, especially children. He's making a really strong point here, that we had to be very careful and responsible with how we parent, how we teach our children, the things that we set before our kids. We come all the way down through the chapter here, and I would really love to 
to, to take time on each of these sections here. But if you don't mind, just look at verse 11 for a moment here. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. And how think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountain and seek that which is gone astray? And if so, be that he find it. Verily I say unto you, he, the master, the one that went after the sheep, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now let me just say this very simply. One of the things that is being taught to us in this little section of Matthew 18 is that for God, listen, no one is unimportant. And no one is lost in the crowd. For us, every individual is important and is a child of God and... God does not ever think in terms of crowds. God thinks in terms of individuals. God doesn't say, wow, I'm going to really anoint that assembly because they have a lot of people. I'm really going to show my presence there because they have so many. And not so much over here because they have a little small number on Wednesday night. God doesn't think that way. God does not think in terms of crowds. He rejoices over the one as opposed to the 99 that haven't gone astray. We thank God the 99 didn't go astray. But let me tell you something. Even the one that did go astray, God's concerned about him too. And you have to think that God, you have to understand that God is not interested in crowds. Crowds are not his aim. Crowds are not his goal. Jesus himself knows all the Father has given me will come to me. No one is able to snatch them out of my hand, right? He's not interested in, in accumulating a crowd. Therefore, as an attribute of God, if that's the way that God thinks, you as an adopted son or a daughter should also not be worried about crowds. You should be worried about the individual. Just because the crowd is doing something or people are doing something in another church doesn't mean that that's your mandate. God doesn't think in terms of crowds, neither should we. But let's look a little more specifically. 21, and came Peter and said unto him, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Do I have to completely forgive somebody who has offended me? And he says, Jesus says, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So do I have to completely forgive him? Jesus said, well, let me tell you something. It's not just a complete forgiveness. It's completely, 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 completely. Sorry, I'm just doing what the Bible says. But Jesus is not saying go to 490 and then stop. And if they don't forget, you know what, if they're not, uh, don't get it right after that, forget it. He doesn't say that. He's just emphasizing the fact that you have really got to completely forgive them from your heart. I mean, you have to go overboard in terms of getting this out of your heart. Remember now, if we understand the parable right, forgiveness is not for that person. Forgiveness is for you. Right? Well, let's look at it. And this is what he's saying here. 
in this parable. Now watch, he, 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 he immediately breaks into a parable and he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. He settled up. Okay, we're going to do an accounting now of what we've given to our servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. By today's money, apparently, according to Google, this is about $1.2 million. This is impossible for a man who's earning a wage at what he's earning. He's got a huge debt to repay. It, it is considered, for the parable's sake, an impossible repayment. He cannot ever consider repaying this debt. But for as much as he had not to pay this servant, he didn't have $1.2 million to write a check with. His Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment be made. Well, that was the law. That was the law back then. That's what had to happen. Follow me now as we do this. Follow me. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him and said, Lord, delay your judgment. He said, have patience with me. And that word literally means patience means delay. Delay the judgment and I'll see what I can do. Now, this is a joke. Because he cannot come up with 1.2 million in two weeks, you know, and, and, and if he can't come up with it now. So the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and he loosed him and forgave him the debt. That's a really powerful statement. Because he doesn't just say, all right, buddy, I'll give you two weeks. I'll tell you what, because I'm a good master, I'll give you a month. He doesn't say that. That's not what that means. It means I'm going to divorce you of that debt. There will be no more bondage with this debt. I'm going to literally do this. He takes the writing agreement with the debt and does this. He tears it up. It's gone. And he says to his servant, it's over. That's what he says. I'm not giving you a week, two weeks. I'm not giving you a month. I'm not delaying anything. It's over. I'm telling you it's done. That's what he says to his servant. I mean, that's incredible, right? And, and this man looks at this, this Lord and, I mean, this is just incredible. You would think, we would think, if a man was forgiven such a debt, he would certainly be charitable, charitable to everybody, right? But Until you read the next verse. Read it with me. But the same servant, the guy who was just forgiven all that money, went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence. The equivalent of about a hundred bucks. This guy owes him a hundred bucks. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, oh, give me a delay of your judgment. Same word. He says, can you just wait till I get paid and I'll pay thee all? Just hang on. I'm going to get paid on Friday and uh, I'll pay you back then. I mean, it's only $100. I'll take care of it. Just, just if you don't mind, just wait a few days. Thirty. And he would not. That guy who was forgiven the $1.2 million would not forgive this guy $100. He wouldn't even extend to him a delay. 
Because that's what he was asked. Would you delay? Watch now. But he went and cast him into small claims court and had the guy thrown into prison till he should pay the debt. Wow. Emphasis mine. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto them, their Lord, all that was done. And when his Lord, after that he had called him, said, Oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that, all that debt because you asked me, because thou desirest me. You, you, you just asked me and I forgave thee all that debt. Shouldst not, <laughs> one of the greatest questions in all of the Bible, shouldst thou not also have had compassion on thy fellow servant even as I had pity on thee? Doesn't it even make horse sense that you would forgive somebody this little little bitty debt after I forgive you so much. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tempters, tormentors, sorry, till he should pay all that was due unto him. All. $1.2 million. It's not the end of the words in red. The last verse, 35, says, So likewise, my heavenly Father, shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your heart forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Why? On the basis of the fact that Christ forgave you. He loved you and forgave you. And he assigned unto this fellow tormentors. Besides the burden of the debt, he assigned tormentors. Give me a minute. Let's just define tormentors. Brother Brown says in the message demonology, he says, now the first thing what a demon is. Well, a, a demon, a devil comes from one word in the English. It's called a tormentor. A fellow that torments is a devil, an evil one. Now the Bible today, to many people, some old, it's some old back book, historical book that grandpa and grandma read or something like that. There's not much to it. It's for the old folks and so forth. That's what they'll say. But that's wrong. It's for everybody. And demons are tormentors that torment us. So in other words, our is the subject or the reality of tormentors only for parables in the, new, in, in the days of Jesus? I say no. I say they're still around. Let me show you. 1 John 4, 17. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. When you have a fear of things... You fear you're not good enough in the eyes of God. You fear you're never going to get married. You fear you're going to run out of money. You know what? You're tormented all the time. I think every one of us as adults, and some even young people, know what it means to be tormented day and night about something. Or every time you close your eyes and go to try to go to sleep, you start thinking about something. There's a torment there. And fear is one of those things that brings torment. And torment is something there that is meant simply to steal your joy, steal your peace, to erode your confidence. 
He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Go a little further. Brother Branham said, God deals with an individual, and when that man, woman, boy, or girl ever meets God and is changed, he's never the same again. He's changed from that time on. And he might get away from God. In other words, you might leave the church, get 18, you know, 20 years old and leave the church. But God will never get away from him if he's got a connection with God. He said, God will never leave. He, said he would never leave you nor forsake you. So you might be going to ungodly places, but guess what? Over your shoulder, guess who's there? Because he said he'd never leave you nor forsake you. There's no but with that. He said he'd never leave you nor forsake you. And he says, everywhere you go, everywhere you go, you'll be haunted day and night if you've ever met God till you come back again. A backslider is the most miserable life there is. So the prodigal son is down living a riotous living, living with hogs. And you know what? He's constantly reminded, I have a father. Servants on my father's farm live better than me. He's constantly haunted by the reality of how things should be. He knows that there is a better life than this. And so it'll haunt you day and night. And he said, how many times have we heard those, those uh, confessions and so forth? Watch what he says again. Now there is demons that come into the soul of a man. Many times you see a person maybe of insanity, and they may be yet a converted person filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet be totally insane. That has nothing to do with the soul. It's a tormentor, something that torments them. Hey, take it from a prophet here, and he's teaching on the subject of demonology. I have seen people who have been truly converted, from my point of view, they're true Christians, but they, yet they go into a cycle, or they go into a season, or maybe there's trauma in their lives, and all of a sudden they're in a bad place. You know what? If I understand the Bible at all, I know that they can't be converted and truly born again and have the Holy Ghost and have, and be, have eternal life on the inside and then lose it because of some condition that happens in their life. I'm sorry, but I can't find a scripture for that. And then when you get converted or you get healed of that, then, then eternal life comes back. I'm sorry, I don't have a scripture for you. People can get in bad places. They can go through valleys. They can go through times of real darkness in their life, and nobody has answers for it. God in his mercy doesn't leave them there most often. But I will tell you something. He says, all sickness comes from the devil, and God is not the author of sickness. No sickness comes from God. Somebody say amen. God sometimes permits Satan to put sickness on you as a whip to bring you back to the house of God when you disobey him. But sickness in its beginning, in its origin, does not, he says, comes from the devil. Can you imagine a person that believes that God our Heavenly Father would be the author of such thing as sickness and death? No. He said God permits death because of disobedience. And all that death can do, and he's quoting somebody here, all that death can do, he said God harnessed it to a buggy and it pulls you into the presence of God if you're a believer. If you're a believer, death only hauls you into the presence of God, like a buggy would haul a wagon. Brother Branham says, a cancer, what is it? A germ. He said, what's a tumor? What's tuberculosis? It's a germ. Those are medical terms. But what they are is demons in, the line, in terms of Scripture, in the context of Scripture. They are tormentors that come into your body to shorten your days on the earth. And they're going to make your life miserable until that time comes when you leave this earth. God does not intend them to be there. He doesn't want them there. But Satan, the archenemy of God and man, is the one who puts them there. They're his little imps or demons. Wow. So 
have tormentors gone away? Was it just confined to the parables of Jesus? No. I say tormentors are still here. When do tormentors come out? They come out under certain circumstances. The parable in Matthew 18 is one of them. All of a sudden, here's a person who is forgiven of much and fails to forgive a little. And you know what? He's, he's required to pay the much and has tormentors. So his life is made miserable by the fact that he did not extend forgiveness even though he was forgiven. But he's got tormentors too. Wow. I'm not saying that every sickness is a tormentor. I'm not saying that every sleepless night is caused by a tormentor. I'm not at all. Sometimes you can have too much caffeine. Like the other night, I had somebody get me a coffee. We don't know whether that was caffeinated or decaffeinated. But I will tell you what, I woke up just about every, every hour, every other hour. And I don't normally do that. I'm a great sleeper. And I woke up 2 o'clock in the morning. I was like, hey, who's up? <laughs> Hello? I went into Will, sound asleep. No, I, I mean, there was nobody was, nobody was in, in, the, in the community at 2 o'clock in the morning. Woke up at 4. Hey! Same response. Sometimes that's what it is. It, it, is, it is not a demon. It's caffeine. But I will tell you this, that the demons like Brother Branham's talking about and the things he confronted in prayer lines, I have never seen Brother Branham discern a people who came into prayer line and said, you know what your problem is? You had too much caffeine. I, I'm sorry, I never saw that. But when it comes to sicknesses, certain conditions, Brother Branham saw them. He saw why they were there. Because some people have failed in some way, to meet the condition of Scripture. And it's just there. Let me close with two little screens. And the first one is this. Forgiveness is not something we do for other people. We do it for ourselves. To get well, move on. Forgiveness is not is that something we do for other people? But rather, it is something we do for ourselves. Because you know what? I want to stand forgiven before God. I want to stand forgiven before God. I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to come up to the gate and, and he, me be in, in the unforgiven column when I've been forgiven so much. How can I get from one column back to the other one, the unforgiven column? Because I didn't forgive others. You know what we should be in this church and in every church where there are believers gathered together? We should be a forgiving society. We should be quick to forgive, quick to forgive. No, hey, we're not going to linger here. We're not going to bring it back up six months later. We're not going to adopt some attitude of, well, you know, that guy, hey, he wronged me. Or if, you're, if your wife brings it up over and over again. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Let's every musician just gently slide up here. Let me leave you with a prayer Brother Branham gives. 1959, reaction to an action. Listen to what he says, and then we'll, we'll stop. Hear us, Lord. We can only speak the word. Don't, don't go anywhere. Now take the spirit, mix the oil with the word, take all iniquity out of their hearts. Cleanse them. This is his prayer for the people. Watch what he's saying. Cleanse them from all filthy thoughts, all evil, all temper, 
smoking, drinking, whatever habits they have, cleanse them, Lord. Take the root of bitterness out that we might stand tomorrow night as a great unified group of people watching for the Holy Ghost to pour out upon here and make the blind see, the deaf to hear, and the lame to walk. Grant it, Lord. Hear the prayer of your servant. What we do between the end of this service and the start of the next one will determine how free the Holy Spirit is to move among us. I said, what we do from the end of this service to the beginning of the next one will determine how freely the Holy Spirit can move among us. That's what he's saying. And so he's asking, he's inviting the Holy Spirit, scour down, reach down far and take all the iniquity out of our hearts, not just out of our mouths, not just out of our thinking, but take it out of our hearts. Cleanse us from all filthy thoughts, all evil, all temper, smoking, drinking, whatever habits, and cleanse them, Lord. Take the root of bitterness out that we might stand tomorrow night. Because if that's held up to moving in the, of the Spirit, and we've done this much, my goodness, Lord, if you take all of that out of the hearts of the people, we'll be able to do so much more. So much more will happen. So in other words, what it is that's in our hearts actually has an effect on the moving of the Holy Spirit. What we hold in our heart actually has the potential to hold up to dam up the flow of the Spirit in, in an assembly of God's people. I don't know about you. I don't want to be guilty of that. I say, Lord, search my heart. If there's something in my heart that needs to be made right, Lord, help me make it. Let me have the humility and the grace and the courage to forgive and let go. I'm going to surrender my right to get even. And that's what forgiveness is. I'm going to surrender my right to get even. Jesus said, if they smite you on one cheek, turn the other one. If they ask you to go a mile, go two. You're going to surrender your right to get even. You don't do it and say, I'll get even with you, buddy. I'll tell you what, I'll have my attorney make you walk three miles instead of two. With that attitude, you have never forgiven. You've never surrendered your right to get even. And forgiveness is, is the action of forgetting, of, of for, forsaking, of letting go, of doing this with your right to get even. Got to go. And if you forgive, guess what? Your Heavenly Father will forgive you. When I think about how much I've been forgiven, when I think about how much I've been forgiven, you don't know. I have a pretty good idea how much I've been forgiven. Common sense would tell you there should not be one grudge in my heart. It should not be one thing that I hold against somebody else. When I think about the, the amount that I've been forgiven. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. Let's stand to our feet. Let's sing it tonight. Joe, there you are. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. Forgiveness, it's one of those timeless principles that we need to speak about every now and then because every one of us face it at different points in our life. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise for it was grace that bought my liberty 
sing it now from your heart. I do not know just why he came to love me so. But he did. time I shall forever lift mine eyes to Calvary to view the cross where my Jesus died forgiveness for our sins and surrender our life to him you know what he does with our sins they're gone far as the east is from the west and you know what he doesn't squander this idea of forgiveness he doesn't come back and remember our sins against us anymore my goodness how blessed we are how blessed we are. Change my heart, oh God. True. Just change
this is what I Father, may there be in every heart here tonight, those that are listening, may there be a spirit of forgiveness. Even if that event, even if that infraction occurred long ago, may we be quick to forgive. And Lord, may it happen just based on your word, knowing that you have forgiven us. We have the opportunity, Lord, to let our right to get even let it go. We surrender it to you. May we not ever carry that, Lord, whether it's with a spouse, a child, family member, church member. May we let it go, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, because you've made a provision for this to happen. We want to do it your way. And then we want to model that because we're representatives of the kingdom and of eternal life. Help us, Lord, I pray how we love you for what you have done for us and how we love you for what you're teaching us. Help us as adopted sons put into practice the things that the Father would do if he were here. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And Lord, we think of the many that are sick and needy. Lord, those that are mourning, we think of Sister Connie, Brother Troy, and Lord, and the loss of her sister, Jewel, Lord, we think of so many other families and people, Lord, that have been lost over this, just in this past week. We commit them into your hands, Lord. We love you and we thank you that you're a God of comfort and you comfort those who mourn. Draw close to them, Lord, we pray. And Lord, we just commit the assembly into your hands now. Meet with us again, Lord, when we gather together. And Father, may you just be welcome in our fellowship every time we gather. We ask it all in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. And amen. Sing this as you go tonight. God bless you. He has forgiven my sins from his men. Oh,